Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Hello, welcome everyone to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Lower Decks edition, and I'm your host as usual, Michael Flores. If you are new to the show, you can find all of our content on iTunes. Just search Star Trek from the Holodeck. All right, so in the studio today on the bridge of the USS Rainman Digital is Ensign David Sabal. Hello. Hello, everybody. Okay, so we're going to be talking about Season 2, Episode 8, titled I Erectus. <laughs> so stupid. It's such a stupid show. I know. I know. The names, dude. The names that, that Mike uh, McMahon comes up with for his titles. I'm yeah. like, it's like, I don't care. Throws a dart at it. It'll work. It's so funny. <laughs> I Have you noticed that this season, Mike McMahon's getting more bold? Yes. Like, like last season, yes. it was like, oh, don't worry. There's got, not going to be no sexually explicit stuff. This is Star Trek, guys. Come on. <laughs> and now he has Boimler, you know, Spread Eagle and the holodeck. Dude. People fucking each a other. Sex, a sex virus. <laughs> a sex virus, Mike. I never thought we'd see that in Star Trek. <laughs> but it made, it was probably the funniest moment by far because how do you actually make Mariner uncomfortable? Yeah. Okay, bang. For her to walk in with Boimler's legs spread, spread wide. Left, and they had the sensor bar right where perfectly where it had to be. Dude, I, I could not stop laughing during that scene. Just everything she saw, everyone having sex, all the things that made her uncomfortable. Yes. I laughed and chuckled the first one they showed us. Then I laughed harder on the second one. And then with Boimler's legs spread open, I just lost <laughs> just it. It's like, Jesus it. Christ. My, the, the, the time when basically Shax just comes out of nowhere, it's naked time. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, no way. It's so good. Uh, so this episode had an interesting premise that was not only super fun and funny for Trek fans, with all of the countless references to earlier iterations of Trek, but was also yet another episode that proves Mike McMahon knows how to interweave relevant story development while satirizing Trek. The setup was magnificent. It was designed to have our cast of characters essentially swap places in order to appreciate each other's roles and responsibilities. And the reason why I like that because, as we know, the incessant lack of communication with the lower decks has been a big part of the series since the beginning. Yeah. It's been mentioned in numerous episodes. And it was a big aspect of this episode. It was a learning moment for the bridge crew to realize that they completely and utterly disregard and ignore the lower decks. I mean, the prelude said it all. 
when Freeman just warped away with the lower decks crew still out of space, I laughed really hard because what fucking captain in Starfleet would ever do that? Yes. All right, let's go. We are receiving a distress signal. Never mind the people that we've left outside <laughs> we repairing a satellite yeah, or a probe, whatever it was. But it, it was really funny. I, I think this might have been the funniest episode of the season so far. I think so too. I mean, dude, the scene where Mariner fails the challenge and I never thought we get to see an agonizer booth again. Yeah. And when she gets thrown into the agonizer for failing the challenge by Boimler, I was giggling like crazy. I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to be a really good, good episode because they're, they're hitting the, the, the comedy just bang, 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 bang. From from opening moments. This episode, Dave, feels like Lower Decks is hitting on all cylinders. Yeah, an episode like this makes me feel really good about where Lower Decks is at. And listen, I know I've been I've been championing this show since episode two of last season, but that doesn't mean the episode is completely or I should say it doesn't mean the episode has completely found itself. But an episode like this makes you feel like Mike McMahon is getting there. He is truly finding his groove with this show, which makes me even that much more excited next year for season three. So despite all the funny aspects, the episode at its core was no doubt about empathy and teamwork. Yes. These are big track elements. As we know, these are big parts that I would say partially make up the semantics of track. And that is what will always be the most important most important part of any trek for me and i know the same for you oh yeah like you can have a great tv series that's written well beautiful cinematography good acting funny like lower decks but if it doesn't adhere to the trek archetypes and tropes and motifs and themes and even and lead motifs just straight philosophy star trek philosophy and the philosophical aspects then it's not trek in fact just to draw a comparison we talked about this recently on this network with a couple other hosts on another show that we've done where a franchise is attempting to do something very very different uh we'll just say it's star wars trying to do something very very different they did a anthology of animes and i'm like yeah these are fun but and they're and they're well made, well written. The animation is fantastic, but make sure when you do these that it still is Star Wars. Yes. And I know that's an argument that a lot of people have when it comes to Lower Decks and the Kelvin timeline, or not the Kelvin timeline, the um, Kurtzman era. Kurtzman era. As a whole, there are a lot of naysayers out there that say, "Well, that's exactly what they're doing here. This isn't." This is a Star Trek. They slapped a name on it, but they're not adhering to those things. And I would politely disagree. Uh, there, as we have said numerous times, there's definitely some work that needs to be done. There's still a lot of growing to do in the Kurtzman era, but they're not just disregarding the Star Trek elements that must be included. And I'm saying this in behalf of Lower Decks as well, because this episode was on that tipping point of going a little too far with some of those <laughs> some of the humor. Yeah. And not for me personally, I don't, I don't, I'm not a conservative type by any means, but you do gotta, you gotta walk that line very carefully because yes, Star Trek has always veered into um, 
sexual expression and yes. they have delved into those types of things in the way of social commentary but it's different than it's different than just being outlandish and obscene to be obscene yes and that's, that's why the proper way of saying it yeah and that's why lower decks even though they were being obscene because they were yeah they still had a show or i should say an episode that was governed by empathy and teamwork, yeah. which is Star Trek at its core. Because essentially, even though they were being obscene, that scene in itself was to show that how Mariner is still uncomfortable with everybody. She's not comfortable with anybody. For character development purposes. For right? character development yeah. purposes, she's not. She may act like it, like she she when she approaches things that she can control herself. And that was the key thing about that obscene, or that of that obscene. That mm. that scene was, if you look at the challenges before, she could it. She could control the whole scenario, the whole challenge, right? But once that control got taken away during that whole scene, Mariner's like, "I can't control this. What's going on? What?" And she she's lost because she has no control of the situation. And then what does she do in the end? She, which was, that was kind of drastic, but she opens the airlock and launches everyone into the, into the uh, space. Dude, that was so fucking funny, man. <laughs> when she didn't know how to escape the simulation, the hologram. And that's, what's funny about that entire scene. And I'm going to go circle back to your point. Cause you made a great point, but that's what made that scene even more funny is that she's willing to kill everyone in the simulation because she couldn't escape, which is, even funnier because how easy was it to fail all the other simulations she could walk the wrong direction and up failed holograph uh, holodeck closes down simulation over with this one she couldn't find the right thing <laughs> to end it to end it <laughs> so which she, is so hilarious when she blasted herself outside oh, out an airlock wasn't she bombarded by a bunch of naked bodies too <laughs> yes, <laughs> like yes. Shax was on top of her right I was like cracking up because it ended up exploding literally on her face oh, because yeah. like the one thing she was trying to escape is people touching her that were naked. It was so funny. But Dave, you make a great point about, yes, it was obscene, but there was a reason behind a, a reason lot of that. And you made a great point about her comfort, not a comfort zone, but um, the whole point was to put them into positions that they've never been in or positions they don't want to be in. And something like that is exactly why Mariner is who she is. Yes. And to make her essentially go into a situation where she doesn't have complete control because she is a bit of a control freak, just like her mother she is. And when you take that control away, this is what happens. Well, and look, it's a learning moment for her, for her as a character. Or as a character, look at what happened in the last episode. She wanted to control Boimler's, essentially his promotion. It, so what does she, she wants do? to control everything. She yeah. wants to control everything. Even in the, even in the rescue mission, what does she do? She takes away Agamus and basically says, you're in timeout now <laughs> away from Agamus. And why? Because she wants to have that control. And it's, it was cool because like in that scenario, they open up with Mariner in the mirror universe. Right. And what does she do? Well, she, she has, she knows the path that she has to take. So she goes above that because why she knows what she's doing. She has complete control of the situation. So 
that's why she fails. She went outside the parameters because she already knew what was going to happen and she had complete control. The, the, the programming had to adapt to her and give her something that it was testing to see what made her uncomfortable. And finally we get to see, do you realize this is the first time in lower decks since in season one that we see Mariner basically at a loss. She can't do anything. She failed in every way. She failed in every way. Yeah. So outside of that, yeah, it was pretty smart the way Mike McMahon and his team of writers found a way to give us some of the quickest references. Yes. Just boom, 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 back to back in a way that actually fit every single holodeck scenario in such a way that we as Star Trek fans knew exactly what they were trying to do. It also spoke or inferred meaning based on each of our characters mm-hmm. that there were issues pertaining to ethics, the the comfort zone of Mariner, Boimler's uh, continued badassery as a Starfleet officer, his growth this season. The yeah. Fact, the fact that he's the only one that that even passed the holographic uh, simulation. But it also showed his one flaw, too, now, which is he's a perfectionist. Is he that, has to get is that a flaw, though? Because the very word perfectionist, root word perfect. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> Contradictory. That, that is true. <laughs> that is true. But the thing that I did like about that scenario was like every time he would get a passing, he get a passing score. Yeah. He would like want to one up it. David. And that's why I say, hmm, because I do that <laughs> in college. When you can retake tests, I'm like, Oh, I got a 90%. I can, I can go higher. And I'm sitting there for another five hours. All right. 96. Cool. I'm not going to lie. I do the same thing. 97. The same thing. Sweet. All right. 98. <laughs> oh, motherfucker, I'm going to get this eventually. And that's why I was laughing so hard because once again, I am fucking Boimler. Oh, dude. Not only that, it made me, it made me, it made me think that Boimler is all of us. And what's even sadder is the one moment that made me bust out laughing after watching it for a third time because I wanted to watch it for a third time mm-hmm. was the time he's on the table and they put the they start taking the the Borg start putting implants in him. His scream, <laughs> his scream, dude, is the funniest thing ever. Yeah, because you expect a macho scream, you know, like Captain Picard screaming as they they put implants in him when he turns to Lacutus. No, 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 no. Boimler is this high pitched like ah, <laughs> and I'm like going. You know what? That would be all of us. Oh, no, I, I would try to scream really madly. <laughs> you would try to scream madly. No, no, the manly scream would turn into this high pitch. Ah, Prob- probably. <laughs> yeah, let's be honest. <laughs> So each of the drills the characters faced are uh, detailed homages to previous Star Trek adventures. For example, Mariner's Old West simulation or scenario is taken from the original series Spectre of the Gun. It even had the bright red background Yeah, that was the sound stage back in the old days in the sixties. I like that they did that. That was cool. While the naked time scenario <laughs> was a play on the original series, the naked time. Yes. Now Shaxx and 
Boimler and everyone that was having sex with each other. Now, it wasn't that crazy in the original series, but it was pretty close. You could definitely see the uh, the connections or the sim- similarities. Similarities. We also see the graffiti on the quarter walls, as we did on Enterprise um, from Naked Time. And Tendi's medical ethics test is also a riff on TNG's ethics which was the episode where Worf becomes paralyzed and he wants his son to kill him so that he can have an honorable death because in the Klingon culture, once you've become a, a handicapped of some type, you become a, a problem for your family. Yes. So you do away with that. So you're not a problem. That was one of the better Worf episodes too, because getting a chance to actually see in their own Oh wait, it wasn't a son. It was it was Riker. It was Riker. It was Riker because that he, he had to he had to uh be killed by a honorable another honorable warrior w- with his knife. With his knife. Yeah, and that episode to me was so intelligent in so many ways because it it delved into you know, philosophical discussions pertaining to ethics and a form of subjective ethics and what's right in one culture might is, not be right in another. Yeah. And the way they played that between Riker and Worf, that episode is just amazing. So I just love that Michael Mann pulls from some of the greats as well. Now, as we mentioned, Boimler, yeah, he's a bit of a perfectionist and he had a horrible time towards the end in that Borg cube, but he was the only one that was yeah. able to pass He's way more confident and confident than the previous season. His growth this season so far is the highlight of the second season for me. And I had touched on this briefly during our last discussion. I like seeing true growth from that character. It's, it's needed in a show like this because yeah, Rutherford and Tendy have grown in their own way and definitely Mariner, but the one who's making leaps and bounds is Boimler. Yeah, because he's, it really feels this season that Boimler is the central character for the season. You know, last it does season, like it that. was Mariner. Yeah. This season, it's Boimler because mm-hmm. he's subtly proving to be the most capable of all the Lower Deck crew. And that plays wonderfully with, you know, like the insecurities of Mariner and uh, also the relationship of Tendi and Rutherford seeing Boimler constantly want to achieve perfection. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're the ones that basically in the very end say, when he asks, did I get a perfect score? <laughs> and they're going, Oh, you got the best score of them all. And you see in the back 8%. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm I like, felt oh. bad for him. Cause he should have got that a hundred percent. He was about to walk <laughs> out that Borg cube with a 100% score. And he sacrificed that in order to help the rest of the crew. But how how messed up is it, dude, that basically for Boimler, the the rest of the Lower Deck crew, they kind of, at times when he is at his highest, they'll knock him down. But even the holograms will knock him down. When when the Borg Queen walks up to him, and, you know, uh, blows on his neck, and it's supposed to be reminiscent of the data scene yeah. from First Contact, and then she goes, oh, dear, so you're, you're not, you're full human. You, then there's something definitely wrong with you. <laughs> And I was like, man, he can't catch a break. Yeah. Another really good moment in the episode during that Borg scene, the music was composed so well. 
the composer on this series is Chris Westlake, I believe. And the way he set up the, the marks for the, for the beats of the composition, there was so much intensity and it was very similar and reminiscent of the music that was composed from the TNG episode, the best of both worlds. So I thought that was fun as well. Also, David, we had a, a classic original series type of ending. You know, everyone gathered around the captain and making jokes, talking about what happened. So Mike McMahon drawing a lot from the original series. Oh yeah. This episode, but not only that, the original series era was definitely a big part of this episode because we also had that character, the drill instructor that had set them all up to fail. I believe the name of the species is Pand Pandronian. The Panronian. Now, a Panronian's first appearance was actually in the animated series. Yes. It was a species of a colony of creatures native to the planet Pandra. And the Federation had recently made first contact with the Pandronians. And Kirk looks like he was imprisoned. I don't remember the episode. I need to go back and watch these. It's been years since I watched all of these episodes. Um, so I need to go back because it seems like a lot of our current showrunners in both Discovery, not Picard so far, but in Discovery as well as Lower Decks, they are pulling a lot from the animated series. Oh yeah. That's that. And that's what makes um, lower decks and part of this, part of the discovery when discovery does it. So gratifying to me because they're at least paying homage and they're knowing their subject matter. They're knowing the star Trek universe. They they're showing that the star Trek universe is more than just one single starship in the enterprise. Yeah. And I just think it shows respect yeah, to what came respect. before. And even though some of the naysayers may say, oh, they hate old Trek. It's obvious they hate it. Like, well, if they hated it, they wouldn't be drawing inspirations so heavily from it. Even in Discovery. Discovery also does the same thing. And not, I'm not talking about Spock. Things that would help promote their show, like having someone like Spock or Number One or even Pike. But there are a lot of references to the animated series that the mainstream may not even pick up on. To me, it shows a respect for the history of Star Trek by using things that were set up, especially something like the animated series, which is a deep cut. Oh, Let's absolutely. Because not many people know about it. Yeah. So the Pandronian, they were it's so strange. So all their parts were mobile on their own. Yes. Through both bipedal locomotion and a form of levitation, which has never been fully explained. According to the wiki here, Pandronians were typically of comparable height to humans and Vulcans. They had a green skin with tufts of red hair, large eyes, and a slightly downturned mouth. The young Pandronians were referred to as egglings. So we don't really know much about this. However, it is not hard to see why they have not been used in other iterations of Star Trek besides the cartoons. Because how do you do this? Truly, how do you do something like this and maintain a serious tone? Because I find it really hard to imagine this type of character in, say, like Picard or Discovery. 
imagine a floating head and a floating body that falls on the ground <laughs> and rolls around. <laughs> yeah, unless it was designed to be a funny moment, I just can't see it being done. Can you? No, no, I can't. But uh, I'm intrigued, though. I'm intrigued. I, I would like I would, to. I wouldn't mind seeing someone try. Yeah, I, I would. And for a while, I thought Discovery would be that show that tries. And I'm really hoping that Strange New Worlds is the one that tries. Because if Strange New Worlds is able to actually pull from the mytholo- the mythos of Star Trek, the, the Rolodeck of Star Trek, and get those unique aliens that we've only seen in, in let's go even further than the anime, the, the cartoon, the old cartoon, into the books, there's some alien species that were only used in books. Yeah. That would be that would be awesome if they were to bring in. Yeah, I agree. Now, Dave, I don't know if you were aware of this, but the alien species, the Pandronian, was initially created for the original series. David Gerald said, here's how I think we can do the costumes. And I'd done a sketch, he says. His idea of using costuming to depict the alien was inspired by the fact that as a student of the theater arts department at Cal State University, he had recently taken part in an elaborately costumed production of Winnie the Pooh, in which he had played a rabbit. It made me think what we could do with the costumes to be outlandish. And so I thought if we got two short people or two little people, <laughs> one to play the bottom half of the creature <laughs> and the other to play the top half, we could have some fun here. Okay. I am. Listen, there are some crazy, crazy things that I just love now in the original series. Yes, but it is some of it is very very silly, and this would have been, this would have taken the cake. <laughs> yes, I would agree. I'm sorry, that's just that'd be. I think that'd be go- going too far. I think it would have fired him if he if he came to me with this idea. Like, so listen, let me listen to this pitch, sir. I'm like, okay, go ahead. I like the idea of this alien, but how do you want to do it? Well, I, I think if we get two small people and uh, you know two circus performers that stand on each other's shoulders, <laughs> shoulders. It just it's, sounds uh, like a it sounds like a Ren Faire stunt. Exactly, and like, I'm like going. I'm like, I, I excuse really... me, are you a movie writer or a, 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 a Ren Faire artist? I'm a I, I'm a cosplayer, sir. Yeah, go back <laughs> to the Ren Faire. <laughs> so obviously, it didn't make its debut, and I think that's for the best. But in, in today's technology, though, let's 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 no. think about this they... through through. through a realistic lens. Okay, so yes, I do believe they could do it, and it would look fine. It would physically look fine. I'm sure the CGI render would look fantastic, especially if they do a combination of practical and CGI. And obvi- and also, you don't always have to have the character break apart. You can have them be all in one piece, and only in certain moments does the head leave or the body split apart. So yes, it can be done. So I'm not against it, but they would have to find a very special reason why. Because it could, it could get really silly, silly real fast. Oh, easily. Yeah. All right, Dave. So this does bring us to the end of our discussion. It was a relatively easy discussion today. A lot of funny moments. So let's get into our final thoughts. Dave, why don't you go first? My final thoughts. This is probably going to be the most highest rated uh, lower decks episode of the season for, okay. my, for me right now. And I love this episode. I thought the comedy worked 
to perfection and he still was able to give us something of a of a solid narrative with all the characters it wasn't funny haha for funny haha sake like say for example in like two episodes ago when he did the whole uh the joke about like the one alien species the ape-like species that want to just gangbang each other <laughs> randomly yeah i forgot about that already. and the, here this is more this is more quote unquote refined yeah there there's a point to like the jokes there's actually there's no shock factor in it yes naked time was shocking but naked time had its point because it played so well into giving us that that look into the character of mariner right now and seeing that she's not quite there yet as a strong character lead she still has her flaws and her biggest flaw is the fact that she cannot trust anybody you, in you her mean crew. as a character not a character lead as, as a character as a character, as yeah, a character. Okay. i wasn't sure if you meant as a as an how we view her as the audience or how she is viewed in the the context of the show. The context of the show. Okay. So, like, basically, like... I, I know what you mean now. Yeah. yeah. I get it. <laughs> but, like, in, in that regard, it was, like, that was probably the biggest re- revelation to her character, in my opinion, for this season. Yeah. Because, like... It was a good moment. It said a lot. It it really meant a lot to me, especially when you actually play it with all the other challenges that she was in. And it, all of a sudden, I, I, like, thought about it. Like, oh, my God. That is Mariner's point. She can't do anything. She she's a control freak. Yeah, that's it. It's not about her being a dick or or a you know bad friend. No, she's just a control freak. Yeah. And again, just like what you said earlier, Boimler is my MVP so far of the of the entire season. So score for this one, I'm giving it a 98. I think that's the highest score we've given lower deck so far. Yeah. Okay, 98. I can't disagree with that. I'm going to give it a 96, however. It is definitely a strong episode. I could possibly consider it the best episode of the season. Critically, I'm not quite sure. I would have to watch every episode again back to back. However, subjectively, it's my favorite episode of the season so far. And I'm going to give it a 96%. I think that's a fair grade. The show keeps getting better and better. There are two episodes left of this season. And if you go back to what Mike McMahon said during Star Trek Day, we can expect some serious high-level hijinks just around the corner. So I'm looking forward to that. All right, this does bring us to the end of our discussion. If you want to help support us and keep us on the air through 2022, please head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Digital, and pledge at least $3. And when you do that, you gain access to all of our pre-show content that we do before every single show, which it, there's so much there. And we talk about all types of different Star Trek things during our pre-show. In fact, we did a 30-minute discussion on the Kelvin timeline and the pros and cons of certain decisions, whether or not they should continue, um, what, and if they do, what they should do. So things like that that we do during our pre-shows. And then if you pledge $5 or more, you will gain access to the pre-shows and all of our additional full-on podcast discussions uh, based on the Maquis, the Borg, Seven of Nine, Star Trek Comics, Star Trek Books. Anything we don't put on our free show, we continue to put out on Patreon. 
So please, patreon.com slash Rayman Digital and pledge. Thank you, David. Thank you. Live long and prosper. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.